Well, hey, gentlemen, we're going to uh, continue on our journey. And, um, man, it's just been really rich to be a part of this weekend. Thank you for the opportunity to come and to hear everybody sing. My heart's just kind of full as I'm hearing men reflect the gospel, sing good theology, remind ourselves of what is true, honorable, right, pure, lovely, of good repute, excellence, and worthy of praise, that our minds would dwell on those things. And so there's just something sweet about brothers getting together. And so I hope you felt that too. I know for some of you guys, this is a new experience, right? I joked in our initial meeting together, you know, some of you came because your buddy said you're just going to do a lot of fishing and eat. They didn't tell you about the chapel portion or the hearing the Bible portion. And you thought, oh, man, it's one of those things. Uh, I hope what you've heard as we've been together, though, uh, is maybe a, an admonition and a challenge to consider some things a little differently. I'm not inviting you to be religious. In fact, I'd prefer if you didn't because I don't think Jesus was. Not inviting you to uh, get weird. Nobody's asking you to handle snakes or kill a chicken. Uh, but we do want you uh, to consider afresh who Jesus is. Uh, we come with all kinds of preconceived notions of who Christ is. Some of them are good. Some of them are bad. Uh, not all of them are biblical. And so what I'd like to do tonight is talk about the gospel. What is the gospel? Uh, and when you say gospel, a lot of guys who've already trusted Christ begin to check out. And I say, no, you, you need the gospel today, just like I need it today, as much as we needed it when we first trusted Christ. But for those of you who might be checking things out, tonight I'm going to share the gospel. And then as I close, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to trust Christ. And what the Bible tells us is that God... Um, is the one who's at work in us to willing to work for his good pleasure. And as a guy who may not know Jesus, that might feel a little weird. Because even now, you're like, man, tonight might be the night where I trust Christ. I remember I went to an event, as I mentioned to you, that was the typical Christian bait and switch, which is why I sympathize with you fellows who thought you were just fishing. Uh, I thought I was just going for a free meal. And I showed up for a free meal put on by the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. But before uh, the meal, you had to hear the speaker. And I remember him talking about trusting in Jesus, and I just felt something in my soul. I didn't know what it was. I couldn't put words to it, but I'm like, I think that dude's talking to me. But if these people in this room knew about me, what uh, I know about me, they'd probably throw me out. And if that's you, then maybe tonight is your night. Uh, but my job this evening is to accurately share the gospel so you know what you're getting into. No manipulation, uh, no emotions, uh, no, uh, you know, stirring you into a frenzy. I want you to understand what you're getting into. Um, so before we get into that, though, let's recap where we've been. Uh, we started um, here this morning by kind of walking uh, a familiar path. We said we wanted to continue to sort of build out the concepts that we introduced uh, here last night. So we started by talking about our shared inheritance of sin, the common reality that we all share, uh, that we are sinners by nature and sinners by deed. We started asking and answering the question, how do you then deal with this presence of sin? And I said, there's really two choices in life. One is to deal with sin in the flesh. The other is to deal with sin in the spirit. Uh, we spent most of our time this morning, for those who might have been fishing, talking about what it means to deal with sin in the flesh. And basically, um, you're dealing with sin management in the flesh. Uh, it has no, the flesh has no power to remove sin, no power to eradicate sin. It simply helps you manage it to 
try to control it. Uh, for those of you who have any sort of recovery background, uh, when you say of your drinking problem that it's not a problem, you can control it, you've already been had. And in the flesh, we have no power to really deal with sin, so we, we talked through that. And what sin management looks like in the flesh, we said, has two primary categories. As you're talking about how to manage sin, one is the idea of impulsivity, that based out of Genesis 3, we have an innate desire, longing, uh, passion, craving, if you will, uh, to move towards autonomy. Autonomy simply means we're really good at trying to be God ourselves, and we're not very good at submitting to God. And so a move in the flesh of management of sin is a move towards autonomy. The second we talked about, uh, for those who missed it, is a move um, not just towards autonomy, uh, but a move towards idolatry. And this idea that we try to fill our hearts with anything and everything. There's a, a hole in our soul created by God that only God can fill, which is why life seems a little wonky apart from Jesus. You may not have recognized that, but you might have just felt like something's missing. So you just try to fill it with all these other things in the world. That's a move of impulsivity, autonomy, and idolatry. We said also one of the tendencies in the flesh is what's called compulsion. This is not the indulgent person. This is the good person. And the good person tries to manage sin by being moral. We said there's a lot of that going on. By the way, churches are full of moral people who do not know Jesus but are trying to manage the flesh uh, in moralism, striving to be good on your own will. Uh, we said also that there's a tendency to cover sin because of shame, that when sin comes in, very few people want to be real honest about that. We'd much rather just cover it, fake like it's not there. Uh, the other is we try to hide it. And we try to hide it because of guilt. All of that comes from the fall. And we looked at Luke 15, familiar passage uh, of Jesus uh, who uh, tells a story of a father who has a younger son who says, I want my inheritance, goes to Vegas, spends it on prostitutes. He comes to his senses and comes home. He's one who's living impulsively. He's living for his flesh. He comes home. At home is the older son who's living compulsively. He's trying to be the good boy. And the story is really not about the younger son nor about the older son. Uh, the story is really about not a prodigal son but a prodigal God. And the idea that God in his lavish grace pursues us, whether you're trying to manage sin with uh, impulsivity or compulsivity, God meets us there, invites us both into what the Bible calls the easy yoke of Jesus. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus makes a statement. I would encourage you to take a look at it. It's in Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and following. Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. The reason that's important is if you've tried to manage sin in the flesh, it is exhausting. It's a full-time job and then some because managing sin is like being in that lake with a beach ball and you're trying to hold it underwater. It's just a ton of work to keep that thing under the water and it just keeps popping up and you hope nobody sees and you get it back under. Managing sin in the flesh is exhausting. Jesus calls you off of that religious treadmill, off of that exhausting, self-driven dealing with sin in the flesh and into something different. And the easy yoke of Jesus, which is what I want to get into here tonight is life, not in the flesh, but life in the spirit. Okay, here's what Jesus says about life in the spirit. This comes out of John chapter 3. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, in, unless one is born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh, 
that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it. You don't know where it comes from nor where it is going. So is everyone who is born of the spirit. What Jesus is suggesting is that the only way to deal with sin, to really manage sin is not in the flesh but in the spirit. And the only way to do that is to be what he called born again. Now, look, I know words get hijacked by culture, and I know you've probably seen some things online or read something, oh, that guy's a born-again Christian. Um, Every Christian is a born-again Christian, but that doesn't mean that we're weird. It just means that we recognize that we can't manage sin on our own. It never deals with the issue. We need to be born again. And what Jesus is suggesting is that we've all been born physically, thus we're all here But not everyone here has been reborn spiritually. Not everyone here has been born again. And he he uses the metaphor of the wind. When you were out on the lake this morning, you probably experienced it. The wind just blows. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. And he says, so is everyone who was born of the Spirit. Um, I don't know if you have a bucket list, something you're like excited to do, like one day before I go be with Jesus, I want to do this, this, or this. I've always wanted to go sailing. Don't know why. Had never been sailing. Was never, like, didn't grow up on the water or anything. I was just like, I wish I could go sailing. Well, sure enough, I celebrated 20 years at our church, and, and my elders were very gracious. They bought me a sailing excursion in San Francisco Bay. I went two weeks ago. I'm like hooked. It was the best experience because it's exactly what this passage says. It's very peaceful. You lift up the sail. You don't know where the wind's coming, where it's going. The guy's like, yeah, I don't know. It might be a good day. It might not. We'll see. We'll see what the wind's doing. And I'm used to a powerboat situation where you just put the hammer down, go from point A to point B, right? But when you're sailing, not like that at all. But I found myself feeling this metaphor come, this passage come to life, going, yes, that's what it means to be born again. It's hard to explain. Like, how do I say to a guy to be spiritually born? Most guys don't have a context for that. Nicodemus in this passage didn't have a context. He's like, time out. That's disgusting. You're telling me i got to go back in my mother's womb? Jesus is like, no, you're missing the point. There's a spiritual life in each of us, but we're dead in our transgressions and sins, according to Ephesians 1. And the only way for us to experience life not in the flesh but in the spirit is if we are born again. And only God, the creator, who shaped us into his image to begin with, only he can cause us to be born again. So what then does it mean to live in the spirit? Well, Ephesians 2 says this. It says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. One of the things that struck me when I was exploring the gospel and then now as a pastor for these years is that the Bible doesn't say we're dying because of sin. The Bible says we're dead. Now, that's interesting. Because what that suggests, to use the lake as a metaphor again, what that suggests is we're not treading water, realizing we're going to drown, and so we reach to God. The Bible doesn't say we're dying in sin. It says we're dead. Which means spiritually, what's happening in us apart from Jesus is absolutely nothing. That's why Romans 3 says there's none who seeks for God, not even one. So if there's any blip of spiritual interest on the radar, it's because God is doing what he promised to do here and causing us now to awaken to him. That's the work of the gospel. Mark chapter 1 verse 15 says this, 
Jesus speaking, he says, the time is fulfilled that the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Well, what is the gospel? You've heard that word before. If you've been around church, we throw it around all the time, the gospel this, the gospel-centered this, and gospel-centered barbecue, and gospel-centered whatever. What is the gospel? The word gospel means good news, and the gospel uh, is the provided means of dealing with sin, not in the flesh, but in the spirit. 1 Corinthians 15 says of the gospel, Paul speaking, I was delivered, um, for I delivered rather to you as first importance that which I also received, that Christ died for sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Side note on that, just call a quick time. If you wonder why I'm referring to so many scriptures, it's because there is no greater authority than the word of God. If you're here to listen to my opinion, truthfully, my opinion is not worth a dang. So what I'm trying to do is support these concepts with the Bible in its context. I'm trying not to just rip things out and make them mean what they don't mean, but I'm trying to show you what I'm saying to you is a distillation of the very word of God. 1 Corinthians 15, says, For in Adam, meaning in the flesh, all die, so also in Christ, in the spirit, all will be made alive. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. And then 5.8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love for us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The beauty of the gospel is the gospel in the, in the most loving, gracious, prodigal God sort of ways meets us in our deadness, causes us to be born again, and lovingly conquers us. Um, my, uh, I mentioned my brother, he was seven years older. We used to fight like brothers fight, but it, a little bit more than that. But he used to do what most brothers do. Any of you have older brothers? Any of you? Did they ever do the thing where they'd like pin you down and they'd like drip the loogie? And right before it got to you, they'd suck it up and they'd drip it. In. Nobody? Yeah, yes. Okay. I'd, yeah, hopefully you have a good therapist as well. The interesting thing about that is my brother used to always say, all you have to do to end the torture is what? Say uncle. You think I ever said uncle? Heck no. You can spit on me. I'm never saying uncle. Here's the thing. When it comes to the gospel, you kind of got to say uncle. Because when you're talking about the gospel, thankfully God is not abusing you like my brother abused me. The point is, when you're talking about the gospel, it's a submission to God. It's a recognition that, God, I am a dirtbag. Everybody else knew it, but I didn't. I was in denial. But now I recognize I am a dirtbag. And there is nothing good in me that dwells in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. And I understand now the gospel. And I tap out. Now, for a lot of guys, if you're wired like I am, you don't like tapping out. You, you may be a very successful person or just surviving because you don't tap out. You're a fighter. But when it comes to God, it's the sweetest most logical, most life-giving, best thing you will ever do in your life is say, I, I do need Jesus in my life. It's not weakness, it's strength. And so accepting now this gift of salvation, this gospel, is actually free to us. Costly to Jesus, but free to us. He offers it by faith, which is crazy. I mean, how many times have somebody offered you something for free? You're like, no, 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 what's the catch? Like, well, what's really going on behind it? Nothing in life is free. Nothing except the gospel. Because it says it's by grace that we've been saved through faith. 
It's a gift of God. It's not as a result of works, lest anyone should boast. It says that he saved us, not on the basis of deeds that we have done in righteousness, but by his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, that the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So this gospel that we talk of, this gospel that sets us free from the mastery of sin in the flesh that fills us now with the spirit, this gospel is offered to us freely. And what Jesus did in our place is fascinating. It says that Jesus literally satisfied the wrath of God that was due to us for those who have placed their faith in him. 1 John chapter 4 says this, verses 9 and 10, by this... The love of God was manifest in us that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now, propitiate is a big 50-cent theological word. What it means is the satisfaction of What took place when you trusted Christ, if you've done so, and for those who maybe tonight will will embrace the gospel and trust Christ, what will take place is called double imputation. It's a fancy way of saying the wages of sin is what, for those who know the Bible? The wages of sin is death. Okay, so your death that was deserving of you gets poured out upon Christ. His righteousness that you don't deserve is given to you. It's called double imputation. It's the beautiful exchange that takes place. Now, the incredible thing about double imputation is that that means that when God sees us who are now in Christ and therefore in the spirit, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. Now, your, your sin list is probably relative compared to the dude next to you. I don't know. Maybe you're a better person than he is. Maybe you're not a better person than he is. It doesn't matter. The point is you and I both got a list, a list of sins, a list of offenses before a holy God. You say, yeah, but mine aren't that bad. Remember, all of your good deeds, the Bible says, are like menstrual rags before God. Even your best effort, God's like, yeah, try again. I'm not having that. Okay, so what that means then is all of our sin is put on Christ. So when God sees us, he doesn't see the list. He just sees the holiness of Christ. And so in the gospel, what the gospel provides for us is this incredible, fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully known, fully loved. That's the gospel. Maybe for the first time in your life, look, I don't know what your dad says about you. I don't know if he's proud of you. I don't know if he's around. I don't know if he said you're an accident. Here's what I do know. Your heavenly father in Jesus says you are fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully known, fully loved. And you don't have to clean yourself up first. You simply come to him. And he makes all things new. That's what makes the gospel so unique. This isn't a gospel of like, you're almost there. Keep working hard. Maybe if you just do a little better, that's not the gospel. The gospel says in your own works and effort, you will never appease a righteous and holy God. Remember Romans 8 said, in the flesh, it is impossible to please God. But he offers us this salvation freely. To embrace the gospel is not to commit, commit to be better It's not to decide to stop behaving poorly. It's not to acknowledge that things aren't going well and then to make some changes. It's not adding the gospel into your current situation. Jesus is not an accessory. Okay, you don't just like strap him to your truck like you would an extra bumper, okay? Jesus is not 
something you just add on to what's happening. Jesus is Lord of the encounter. And he comes into your life to renovate your life. Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. We die. The gospel requires you to do one thing, to give up rather, one thing and one thing only. Do you know what it is? Everything. Everything. We lay our lives down at his feet. Why? Because he is worthy. He died on the cross, was buried, and rose from the dead. And to follow Jesus is to give up everything. Your identity, your desires, your passions. The irony is give up everything to the one person who's in control of everything. See, the, the irony is we, we live in this illusion in the flesh that we're in control of things. You're not in control of Jack if 2020 did not teach you anything. You are not in control of anything, nor am I. You're not in control of your next breath. How many of you in the last couple of years have buried a loved one? Terrifying. You're a heartbeat away from having to answer to the holy God, the most important question you'll ever answer, and that is, what have you done with my son? Did you know my son? By the way, that's the only question that matters. Did you have an effective 401k? Did you have a nice house on the coast? Did you have a nice, did you put rims on your car? None of that matters. The great missionary Jim Elliott said, look, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That is the hope in the gospel. And to be in Christ is to be now in the spirit. Jesus spoke in John 15 about the helper who would come. It's interesting, Jesus is saying to the disciples, who are all starting to freak out because they're really just talking about dying. And they're like, no, 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 no. Like, you, you got to stay here. It's good for you to be here with us. And Jesus just says, look, it's good that I go because if I don't go, I, I'm not going to send you the helper. Remember in Genesis 1, it said, let us make man in our image and in our likeness he created them. It doesn't teach Trinity, but it allows for it. That we're talking about a God who was one God in three persons, God the Father, Son, and Spirit. Not God who revealed himself in three different persons. That's modalism. That's different. One God, fully unified and yet fully distinct. And so Jesus says, look, if I stay here, it's just me and you. But if I go, I can send the Holy Spirit. I can be in all of you. And so it's good that I go and send the helper. John 16 says, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Well, as you read through the book of Acts in chapter 2, sure enough, the Spirit of God comes and is sealed inside of believers. Something different than anything you've seen all throughout your Bible. In the Old Testament, the Spirit of God would come upon people. Think like Samson. God would come upon him. He'd turn green, rip off a shirt, beat people up like the Hulk, killed a thousand dudes with the jawbone of a donkey. But then the Spirit would go. Which is why David said, create in me a clean heart, O God, renew a right spirit in me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Well, that, that was David's reality in the Old Testament. When we're talking about being in the spirit, we're talking about Ephesians 1, that having believed the gospel, having trusted Christ, we are sealed with the spirit of God. Listen to this. In him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise who has given you as a pledge of our inheritance with a view of the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit, when you trust in Jesus Christ, is sealed within you in the fullness, by the way. 
Ephesians is going to say he has already given you every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, which means when you trust Christ, you are sealed with the Spirit, and it's called the earnest or the down payment. Nobody uses the word earnest, but we understand down payment. You want to buy a house, you say to the person, hey, I'm, I'm going to buy your house. And so here's 10, 15, 20% down, and uh, that, that's my commitment, that what I've begun I'm going to execute. I'm going to perform. I'm going to be faithful to complete. Now, here's why that's interesting. The Spirit of God is called the down payment in our lives. So Paul tells Timothy some years later after this, he says, if, if you are faithless, God remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. Can you lose your salvation? Well, can you earn your salvation? So if you can't earn it, how could you lose it? You can't earn it nor lose it. You're secure in the hands of a loving God. And that can never be taken from you. That spirit is in your life, which means, Paul says to the church in Corinth, that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. So in the Old Testament, they had a temple, literally a temple, a building where the spirit would come in Jerusalem and dwell in the temple and then the spirit would go. Where is the spirit of God now? Right here. And for every one of you guys who have trusted Christ, right there in you, which means you're no longer managing sin in the flesh. You've got the Energizer Bunny inside of you, no disrespect intended, called the Holy Spirit that's at work in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. There is something happening inside of us as we live in pursuit now of Jesus, our body being now the temple of that Holy Spirit. So for those who have trusted in Christ, we're, we're no longer in the flesh, but in the spirit. Listen to Romans 8. The mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace, peace because the mind set on the flesh is hostile to God, doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. We've talked about that. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. We haven't talked about this. However, he says, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. What a gift. What God has done is given you the ultimate trump card of dealing with sin. And that is the spirit of God that is in you, that is at work in your life. So then, let me ask this question. If we are in Christ or in the Spirit, then that means we no longer struggle with sin, right? No, it doesn't mean that. And to be honest with you, it's one of the most frustrating things for me. I trusted Christ, as I mentioned, in college. I was all excited. I'm like, all right, Lord, here's all of the nasty things that are in my head. So if you'll just select all, delete, that would be awesome. And I'll just have a fresh, clean slate. That, that's not the way it works. Now, the good news is, according to Romans 6, we're identified with him in the likeness of his death so that we should also be in the likeness of his resurrection. So we would uh, walk in a newness of life, knowing that our old self is crucified with him, considering our old self dead and presenting ourselves to God. Romans 6 is a great passage talking about the freedom from the mastery of sin. You have freedom from the slavery to sin. You are no longer in Christ because you're in the spirit. You're not managing sin. It's been dealt with. Jesus on the cross said it is finished. Bolt cutters have cut those chains now that had yoked you to that old life. You're now yoked to Jesus. And what that means then is you have freedom from the mastery of sin, but not its presence. Not its presence, which means you're still going to have flesh residue in your life. 
Paul finishes Romans 6 by talking about Romans 7. The thing that I want to do, I don't do. The thing that I don't want to do, I find myself doing again. I find it true that uh, evil is present in me, the one who wishes to do good. That's the struggle. But chapter 8, verse 1, for those of you who know your Bibles, says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But why didn't God take all of those things away when we trust Christ? And why would I share this with you? Well, I'm sharing this with you because I don't want you to feel like you got baited and switched. Hey, that guy, you know, he told me if I trust Christ, he's going to make me new. And I trusted Christ and I went down the hill and I still lust. What the heck? Yes, you're still going to have to battle the flesh. But you're battling it from a different power source. You're battling it from the work of the Holy Spirit. And so why wouldn't God just take all those old feelings away? Why wouldn't God take away that flesh residue? Why wouldn't God take away every stinking thought or pornographic image or lustful whatever? Why does he leave those things in us? Have you ever wondered that? I mean, I'm like one step forward, two steps back, pride jumps out. I'm like, oh, that's so ugly. I'm like, God, what is all that about? Because if he took all of our sin away, you wouldn't need the gospel. You wouldn't need God you'd slip right back into autonomy because if there was no reason for you to open your heart to God and go, God, I'm wretched. Even in the spirit, I'm wretched. Search me, oh God, know my heart, try me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there be any hurtful way in me. God, I need you because this thing is still present in my life. That's what Paul was talking about in 2 Corinthians 12 where he talked about the thorn in his flesh that keep him from exalting himself. He prayed three times that the Lord would remove the thorn in his flesh, which we think might be some sort of physical ailment of some sort. And God flat out said, no, I ain't going to do it. Why? Because my strength is perfected in your weakness. And so Paul began to realize that thorn in his flesh, the, the flesh residue in your life and in my life, is there that we might continue to open our heart to God and go, oh, God, I'm still so capable of awful. Even in Jesus, I'm just still so capable. And so, God, I need you. I need the gospel today as much as I did back in 1993 when I went for a free meal and trusted Jesus. That is the ongoing work of what it means to be now in the spirit. Question, though, as a believer, we have a, a choice to make. So we mentioned you're either in the flesh or in the spirit. Okay, so you trust Christ. You still have a choice to make. Are you going to walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit? So when we talk about that, we're talking about what power are you going to live life by? That's the book of Galatians, by the way. When you read the book of Galatians, just think believers trying to figure out, am I walking by the flesh or walking by the spirit? Listen to what Paul says in Galatians 3. He says, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified? Um, this is the only thing I want, you, I want to find out from you. Did you receive the spirit by works of your own? Or by faith? Does, does the spirit of God come into our lives because you earned it or because God graciously gave it through Jesus? Because he gave it. He goes on. He says, are you so foolish then having begun by the spirit, are you now going to be perfected in the flesh? So what was happening in Galatians, what's happening maybe in your church as well, maybe with you, they had placed their faith in Jesus. They had embraced the gospel and are like, okay, um, am I going to heaven or hell? Which box do I check? Oh, Check the heaven box. Whew. Okay, well, now how do I walk out this faith? Well, I, I, I work hard. I do good. I get better. I try hard. That's having begun by the Spirit, I'm now being perfected in the flesh. That's not, that's not necessary. It's also not effective. Because it, 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 remember, all the flesh does is manage sin. It doesn't deal with it. 
So Paul says in Galatians 5, but I say to you, if you walk by the Spirit, you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit and the Spirit against the flesh. These two are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. Paul says this battle is the glory of it. That's where the reward is. The battle is saying, I'm in the Spirit. I know I am. I'm secure in Jesus. And instead of walking in the flesh, no, no, I'm going to keep walking by the Spirit. But God, I keep stumbling. Yes! So you keep opening your heart to God. God, I do. I do still have capacities in me that are awful. And I recognize, I still need you. And God says, yes. And God, I need you today. Yes. And God, I still need you right now. Yes. Like, that's the point. But so many guys come to faith in Jesus. They're like, man, I went to the Fisherman's Conference back in 2007 and I trusted Jesus. And that was it. I'm like, that's it? Like you just trusted Christ? So you trusted Christ, but now you're managing sin in the flesh? That's exhausting. You went right back to the old you. What would it look like instead to trust Jesus, therefore be in the spirit and to walk by the spirit? Well, Romans 8 tells us that the law of Christ has set us free from the law of sin and death. We are not under obligation to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live for all who are being led by the Spirit of God. These are sons of God. I want to talk more tomorrow morning, finishing about how do you then walk by the Spirit. Because it sounds awesome. Living every moment, every day driven initially by the power of the Spirit of God that created the entire world who now lives in me. How do I tap into that power? Amen? We'll talk more about that tomorrow. But before we get into that, let me wrap things up and say first things first. Have you ever placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Because before we can walk by the flesh or walk by the Spirit, we have to decide are we going to live by the flesh or live by the Spirit? Have you ever trusted in Jesus Christ? John 1.12 says, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And as I've thrown out so many passages, I hope you're seeing the redundancy. This passage says this, and that passage says this, and that passage says this. This is the biblical truth. So Jesus has given us an opportunity, fellas, to be sons and daughters of the living God. I did a funeral here a um, week and a half, two weeks ago. Very successful businessman in our community. Um, if I mention his name and you're from Fresno, you probably know this guy. Very well-known guy. Grew up Catholic, which is always a hit or miss. Because a lot of Catholic brothers know Jesus. A lot of Catholic brothers know the church. And so I asked the family, I go, tell me about this guy's spiritual life. And it was crickets. Well, I mean, he grew up Catholic. Okay, yeah, but he's like 80 years old. So did he go to church? No. But he did first communion. Yeah, but did, did, he, did he know Jesus? They're like, I, I don't know. And I just say, guys, it doesn't have to be that, like, hit or miss. I mean, you can miss on a lot of things. Look, you can wear last year's fashion. Who cares? You can buy a truck that doesn't have the right, you know, Hemi in it. Who cares? But if you miss on this Jesus situation... The consequences are pretty dire. Like, we're not not playing around. And can you imagine? You're gone, right? You're dead, and I'm asking your family, why? Did he know Jesus? And they're like, why? He went to Fisherman's. Yeah, but did he know Jesus? 
I mean, he's, he's a deacon in the church, but did he know Jesus? Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And I used to think that is so arrogant. Who does he think he is? Arrogant unless you're God. Arrogant unless you conquered death. Arrogant unless you rose from the dead. Arrogant unless you're seated at the right hand of the Father. And arrogant unless you are waiting to restore all things under your lordship. If that's you, then it's not arrogant. But that's Jesus. What about you and Jesus? Can you know with full assurance of faith? Can you know? Absolutely. Why? Because the Bible says you can know. And this is the testimony. John says, God has given us eternal life. And the life is in his son. He who has the son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That's pretty clear. I write these things for those of you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. Can you know with full assurance? Absolutely. All you have to do is have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. How do you do that? There's no magic prayer to recite. There's no incantation. Okay, there's no right or wrong word. It's you recognizing right here. There's a hole here. And I've tried to fill it with anything and everything, with anyone and everyone, and nothing works. And I realize I'm a sinner, both by deed and by nature. God, I need you. And I don't know what it all means, and I'm kind of freaked out by it, truthfully. But here's what I do know. I do know that I can't keep living in the flesh. This is Groundhog Day gone bad. It's, it's the same thing over and over and over. It's just me being stupid. And I just can't keep living like that. God, I need you in my life. And from what I understand, Jesus died on the cross was buried and rose from the dead and promised that for any who place their faith in him, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God rose him from the dead, you will be saved. And God, I don't know what all that means yet, but I do know this, I need Jesus in my life because I can't keep living in the flesh. I need something new. And that something new is the savior of the world who by his grace will allow you to be fully forgiven, fully accepted, fully known, and fully loved, all through Jesus. If you've never trusted Christ, guys, tonight, why not tonight? Oh, I'll do it tomorrow. No, tonight. You're not promised tomorrow. Tonight, what would it look like for you? Right where you're at, to just bow your heart to the Lord and just say, God, I need you. And I don't have to have all the right words, but God, I need you. I'm a mess. I'm in the flesh. I know it. And I want to be in the spirit. I need Jesus in my life. The guys who invited you, by the way, they're praying for you right now. And what I'd like to do in a very non-manipulative way, I just want to invite Brandon up. Brandon's just going to play a song. And I'm just going to give you a chance right where you're at to spend some time with the Lord. And just say, God, maybe you've never prayed before. Hey, God, it's me, Brad. And I know you know me, but I don't know you. But I want to start a conversation with you, and I want you in my life. I want to quit living for me. I want to live for you. In whatever words you need to use, I encourage you as uh, Brandon plays a song, see what God has for you. And the beauty is the promise of eternal life. Jesus says, this is eternal life, John 17, 3, that they may know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Fellas, this faith in Jesus is not just about heaven. Heaven's going to be awesome. Make no mistake. Where we will experience together the ever-increasing glory of God. But it's really not about heaven. It's really about here. It's really about doing life in the spirit according to God's design. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the gospel that came to seek and save that which was lost. And that's us.
And so, God, would you just be so kind as to meet us here. And for our brothers who have yet to place their faith in you, could the gospel being shared tonight stir in their souls to realize maybe for the first time in their life that they've been trying to fill that void with anything but you, but maybe now, God, could you meet them there? And Lord, could they confess to you their need and just say, God, I need you. God, I'm a mess. And I want to I follow Jesus. And as they take upon themselves now the yoke, the easy yoke of Jesus, and their sins are placed on the cross, and your righteousness imputed to their account, and the Spirit of God filling their lives, may they sense your pleasure. Maybe for the first time in their life, sense your pleasure as they are unified back with the one who created them. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.